Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening, and let's get to it. Wonderful. I'm very fired up for Ayelet Polanski, uh, coach, educator, lecturer, you, you name it. Um, we really go deep into the voices in your head and constructing a mindset for success. I really enjoyed this interview and you can clearly see how she's very passionate about the topics that she discusses. She has a crazy personal story, which she shares. And uh, for anyone looking to pick up their game, uh, man, woman, and child, this is, uh, this is the one for you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this podcast has been brought to you by me, Jacob Rupp and Jacob Rupp's Consulting, uh, technically Lift Your Legacy. Now, I have to be honest, I help clients often get out of their own way. And something that has really held me up was exactly the same thing, that I was in my own way. For months, people have been saying, you know, talk about your coaching, talk about how you help people, share it, etc. And I had a really hard time putting it out there. Why? Because it's not that I don't think I do a great job. I've seen amazing results from my clients, you know, 10x, more than that, businesses, fixed relationships, um, helped people lose a lot of weight, people go on the path of, of making goals and fulfilling their goals, all of these things. I know I do it. And I've been in the coaching space long enough to know that there's a lot of people that don't really deliver. And the ones that do really deliver are, are worth literally their, their weight in gold because so often we're held back by stuff. And it's just like, if only I could get over that, if only I could work through that. And I help people do that. But for me, my big holdup was sharing that I do this in a big way, in a public way, especially on the podcast, because it's awkward. I don't want people to think, oh, I'm just making the podcast to, to sell you stuff or to talk about stuff. So that, that's not what I'm doing. Um, my point is like this. My coaching business is expanding. I'm taking on a few more clients. If you are someone that is struggling in the area of self-esteem, goal setting, health, relationships, or your, or your business, really, um, reach out. I don't know if we're a good fit to work with each other. What I can guarantee you is that we'll get on the phone for half an hour. Uh, I'll hear the kind of challenges you're having. You'll get a good feel if you don't know me yet of the kind of work I do, kind of program I would recommend for you. And if it's a great fit, we'll move forward. And if not, not. But I wanted to appreciate very much from the bottom of my heart, the fact that you guys all listen. I appreciate the amazing guests that I have. And I'm really thrilled to have broken through in my own life to the point where I could actually devote a segment to really make a somewhat long-winded, but I think very important advertisement. So if you want to reach out to me, the email is rabbi, R-A-B-B-I, Rupp at gmail.com. And the website is liftyourlegacy.live and at lift underscore your underscore legacy on Instagram. I think it's pretty simple. You, you know where to find me because you found the podcast. Thank you so much. I am so thrilled to have today Ayala Polanski, who is a coach, motivational speaker, educator, uh, all around powerhouse, originally from New York, now in the Holy Land of Israel, and will hopefully be sharing some important topics with us, uh, ideas, techniques about leadership and development. So Ayala, thanks so much for joining me this morning. Thanks for having me. 
Fantastic. Tell me a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today. A little bit? Okay. I feel like we could be here for 10 hours, but I'll Great. try. Go for it. <laughs> I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version of like a 10-year story. Um, so today I work as, as you said, like a coach, therapist, speaker. I live in the Holy Land of Jerusalem. Thank God. I feel so blessed to be here. Um, and I moved here three years ago. Um, I met my husband right here. And prior to arriving in Israel, I had spent six years in and out of India. Um, so, okay, I'm just like debating what, how- what, what, led you, what led you to India? What were you uh, looking for? Uh, okay, so you want like the beginning of the story. So, okay, cool. So long story short, when I was around 20 years old, no, I was exactly 20 years old, I had woken up one summer's day to 87 missed calls and voice memo uh, and text messages. And, you know, like any, <laughs> like any undisciplined for me, like at the time, it wasn't a discipline to wake up and set an intention first. Now it is, thank God. But, you know, at the time, the first thing I did was grab my phone and check Facebook, uh, which I still do sometimes. But okay, so I grabbed my phone, I checked Facebook instead of reading all the messages, which just seemed overwhelming. And um, I, as I'm scrolling through my newsfeed, I just see rest in peace, Danielle, we'll love you, Danielle, your memory will never be forgotten, Danielle. And as a 20 year old, if you don't process who Danielle might be, and I'll get to what I'm talking about in a second, um, I'm thinking Danielle is some celebrity. And as I keep scrolling, all of a sudden, a picture of my good friend, Danielle, pops up on the screen, rest in peace, Danielle, and that's when it hit me. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, waking up to all these text messages, and, and it was just chaos. It was complete, it was all over the news, it was complete chaos. And when I'm, you know, 20 years old, all that mattered to me pre-20s was clothes, boys, shopping, parties, socializing, you know, like the idea of, you know, the idea that life is temporary, you know, it, it didn't hit me at, as a 20 year old. So I remember waking up that day and thinking to myself, wow, Ayelet, you've been alive for 20 years, but you have not even begun to live. Right? It's like I was going through life with horse blinders on, just blindfolded. Um, and, so, and so it really hit me that I wouldn't be here forever. And, you know, they tell you, you know, when you're a teenager, they say, live every day as though it's your last. But what does that really mean? Unless it hits you and until you reach a rock bottom, which, you know, for me, that was, quote, unquote, a rock bottom. And, and you know, how she, how she passed away was even more shocking um, should I just spend a minute going into how she passed away? How am I supposed to not say yes? Okay. Uh, so she was supposed to go out that night with the guy she was dating and the guy totally just like ignored her calls. Okay. So she calls her best friend and she says, best friend, guy is ignoring my calls. What are you doing tonight? She goes, don't worry about it. Come, we'll hang out. Now in a town, near where, in a town near where we live, um, there would be just a bunch of like biker boys who would gather together and then they'd ride, like they'd all ride out into the night on their bikes. 
So Danielle and her best friend decide to go there. They meet a couple biker boys and her best Danielle's best friend is trying to convince Danielle against her will. Danielle was very resistant to getting on the back of a guy's bike. She thought it was the worst idea ever. But her best friend, you know, was, you know, try to convince her, you know, stop, not convince her, but just peer pressure. Pure 20 years old. They were like 19, 20, peer pressure. Get on the back of the bike. Stop being a wimp. What's the worst that can happen? We're just going to cross the George Washington Bridge. We were in New Jersey at the time. Cross the George Washington Bridge, head into the city, grab a bite to eat. We'll come right back. All right, fine. She succumbed to the peer pressure. Danielle got on the back of the bike. Her best friend was a couple minutes behind on the back of her guy's bike. Anyways, her best friend is riding across the George Washington Bridge. Like I said, Danielle is up ahead. And in the middle of the bridge, Danielle sees the pink jacket, the best friend, sorry, her best friend sees the pink jacket that Danielle wore in the middle of the bridge without Danielle, just the jacket. So her best friend, obviously her, her heart drops to her stomach. She panics. They ride up a little bit further and she sees Danielle lay down in the middle of the bridge. It was all over the news. Danielle's laid out in the middle of the bridge. Her best friend, you know, jumps off her bike, like holds Danielle in her arms. And like the last words that Danielle says were, D, Diana was the best friend's name. Diana, I forgive you. It's not your fault. And then she passed away. Oh my gosh. I know. I don't, <laughs> sorry to start the interview with those tragic terms, but like to me, that was, it was, eye-opening what was eye-opening about that if i could be just so so blunt to ask because it, it, it was so visceral the experience was so real even though it you know it, it it didn't happen to me but it could have happened to anyone any of my friends it could have been any of us we all used to like we thought we were so cool we used to hang out like in town and trying to meet guys and so for me in my you know naive little world it really woke me up. It shook me. It gave me this. To kind of like, to cut through the BS, like that, that basically we, we create these lives for ourselves, but that ultimately it doesn't go forever or, 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 or what? Absolutely. It, it gave me the, 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 the wisdom that your elders tell you, you know, live every day as though it's your last because you never really know when it will be your last. That became a real experience for me because at 20 years old I lost anyone prior to this experience with Danielle who was my age you know like people lose their grandparents but to lose someone who's your age you think okay I'm gonna die when I'm old but not at 20 right so for me it, it was like I was looking in the mirror I, I heard the story of what happened Danielle and I felt as though I was looking in the mirror and I really really it like the reality of like this could this could have been me it could have been any one of my girlfriends it could have been me um, it hit me. And so I remember waking up that morning to hearing the news and just, it, it was the beginning of the rest of my life. It was the beginning of really committing to living a life where every day I better fulfill some sort of purpose. Even if the purpose is making the best cake for my husband, <laughs> whatever that purpose is, like I'm going to do it with full heart, with full passion, with full intentionality. And nothing less than that, because today could be the last, you know, so. So let, let me, let me, let me dive in a little bit more on that, on that concept. I think so often we do have these moments that wake us up. Some of us don't get woken up. 
Um, but what becomes difficult afterwards is maintaining that level of inspiration. So perhaps you could share a little bit about how to maintain that clarity and also what does it mean to be like fully in line with your intention and just like there? Okay. So, so I'm going to tie in another just personal story before I answer that specific question, because I think it, it all will come together. Um, but about four years ago, um, I told you I spent six years in and out of India. So the experience with Danielle woke me up to a new reality and I found myself in Barnes and Nobles. I went straight to the self-help section and like the first book that fell into my lap, it literally just like dropped off the shelf was a book called Buddha. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, what, for what, what doesn't a good Jewish girl need with a book like that? <laughs> exactly. And so like, you know, it's the first time I have amazing parents. Thank God I come from an amazing family, but like they didn't necessarily instill in me the value of, you know, selflessness or compassion. They just are compassionate people and they are giving people, but, but the, the idea of it, the reality of it, reading all these books. So Buddha, the book Buddha turned into every single personal development book in the self-help. So if you saw my bookshelf, it's just, it's, it's one big personal development bookstore. Um, so that led me to India. And so four years ago, uh, I found myself in the middle of the desert. I was in like the largest festival of consciousness on the planet. It's 50 million, five zero million Hindus <laughs> and, and me in the middle of the desert in India. And I was, I was caught in a terrible tornado. Now, when I say terrible tornado, I mean like a scene out of the Wizard of Oz. Like metal poles flying everywhere, like tents being ripped apart, like rain and wind so loud that you can hardly hear the person next to you screaming at the top of their lungs. It was so intense. So I went to find shelter and I slid under a massive transportation truck because I figured things are flying around. The last thing I need is for something to hit me and I'm done for so I slid under a transportation truck. The waters are rising. I'm like, okay, you know what? Either I'll get hit in the head with a pole. Sorry to be so vulgar, but either I'm going to get hit in the head with the pole or I'm going to drown or I'm going to live. It's one of three options. So I was hoping for the third. Mm. Anyways, I'm sitting under this transportation truck and I'm like praying for dear life. And all of a sudden I hear an old woman's voice and I look over my right shoulder and there's this like older woman with piercing blue eyes and she just looks at me and she says, well, at least if we die, we die here with our guru. And something about that moment, like it's like my whole life flashed before my eyes. Something about that moment just felt so wrong. Something felt so wrong because in my head, when, you're, when you think you're about to die, you think like, I have parents who love me. I have siblings, I have two brothers who I adore. You know, I have a whole future ahead of me. I have dreams, I have goals, I wanna get married. Like, the last thing I, I care about is dying here with my guru. So that kind of like woke me up real quick. To and the, it, the futility of the, of the current, uh, like the current path you are on, is that what you're saying? Absolutely. It's like the, the, the classic, the, um, the ladder's against the wrong wall sort of, so you've been climbing up this ladder, but at the end of the day, it's like you don't wanna be with the guru at the end. The intention was sincere, you know, sure. the intention, the, the, the desire for truth, the desire for, for spiritual living, 
the desire to feel connected to something bigger than me, to a purpose that's beyond me was there. So the sincerity was there. But like you said, ladder against the wrong wall. Is that how you say, is that the yeah. quote, ladder against the wrong wall? Um, when you grow up with foreign parents, you, these English slogans, you kind of get them. I like, know my wife, my wife doesn't know how to do, she's like a, a rock and a hard wall. And I was like, I don't, I don't think that's it. That's me. Okay. I totally okay. relate. Um, but so, yeah, so basically, um, not so, not so after that experience, the guru had invited me on a bus tour with him throughout all of Southern India. Um, and like any good sincere seeker, you say yes. Uh, so the bus tour wasn't starting for another week. So I said, you know what? I have some, when I say bus tour also, I don't mean like touring during the day. Luxury, luxury bus tour. Yeah, no, no. It's, no, no there's no bus. <laughs> right. I'm talking like rugged, showering out of buckets. If you can shower, you know, I'm talking about sleeping on the bus. It was going to be intense. And so I said, you know what? I have some wealthy friends in Bombay. I'll go hang out with them for a week before I just like get myself dirty. Um, fine. So I'm in, I'm in Bombay and it's my second to last day there before I'm about to depart on this bus. And I'm in a deep state of meditation. And for anyone who's ever meditated before, you know how incredibly difficult it is to meditate when your mind is just racing and you have all these distractions. Right. So like I'm trying and all these different thought bubbles, like thought, like, like thought bubbles just keep popping up. And there's one thought that just keeps trying to like enter and intrude on my meditation. So I keep trying to push that thought aside and it keeps trying, it just keeps getting louder and louder. So finally I'm like, you know what, clearly I need to entertain this thought. Otherwise I won't be able to get into the meditation that I thought I needed to be in. Okay, so I entertained this thought and it was like so clear as day. Like it, I just heard this voice. It was a voice in my own head, obviously, but like it, I heard this voice and it said, leave this country now and go to Israel. Don't wait. Fine. You know when your intuition is just so strong and if you don't listen to it, it's like that voice is just going to keep haunting you until you listen to it. So the voice was so clear that it took me 30 minutes to... book a flight to Israel. The next day I was on a plane um, and it's been three years and I've never left. <laughs> so to, uh, to tie it back to your original question, like why am I sharing these life experiences? Um, you know, when, when Danielle passed away, you know, now it's actually been now almost 12 years. When Danielle passed away, um, I had set a really strong intention. And for me, I think what differentiates success mentality versus failure mentality is the power of a strong intention. In Hebrew, the word is kavana, as you know, you know, and, and it, which, which stems from the word kivun, which means direction. So intention is like, is, is like a very strong directed intention. So, I come from the mindset that whether we can understand and make the correlation between our past thoughts and our current day situation, there is a connection. There is a connection. And if I look back at my life at the last 10 years, and I remember myself sitting on my bed, reading all these text messages about Danielle's passing and thinking to myself, 
I am determined to start living a life worth meaning. That intention was so strong and so visceral that it led me to India, which led me to that experience under the truck, which like set a kind of like a, it was like an anchor for me that then led me to the next experience where I had this like thought that said, leave this country now and go to Israel. And there's so many little mini micro stories in the bigger story that if we were to get into like the details of my life, you would see how a thought that I like planted, a seed that I planted as, as an initial thought years ago, even a week ago, I can see how everything kind of just like got, gets played out. It's like our life is a movie, our life is a game. And sometimes when the thought is, is so close in time, it's like having your nose up against a painting, you can't see all the, all the details. But if you allow some time to pass and you step away from the painting, the painting now, the details become a little clearer and, back and it's a little clearer. So. so let me, okay, so let's, let's I, this is great. Um, one, of the, one of the major challenges that I, I believe a lot of people have is sometimes not knowing when their moment is here and not having the capability, the capacity to know exactly what to think. Um, I, I just just as, a, as a very practical example, not sure if he's listening, but a client of mine, I gave an assignment to work out kind of like, what are your, what are your goals? And like, what do you want to accomplish? And, and he needs help from me. And I'm like, I can't, I mean, I can help with the process, but like, that's your life. That's your goals. Like I, I have my situation. So the question would be, first of all, without having some kind of tragic moment that wakes us up and sort of like, just, this is true. How do you find that? And then how do you make something that's both broad enough to allow you to live? You know, it's like saying, I'm going to make my living as a plumber versus I want to fulfill whatever potential I have. So how specific does it have to be? And how do you create this without it being created for you by tragedy or whatever it might be? Mm -hmm. So that's a great question. So if I'm reading between the lines of the specific question, what I'm hearing is like, how do I live a life of purpose if I don't know what my purpose is? Is that kind of the question? I mean, that, that's part of it. I guess, I guess you said I'm going to live a life with purpose, but what's the common theme between India and, and living a Jewish life? And let's, this, let's hope this doesn't happen. Could be, it will happen. But let's say you have another spiritual experience and wind up on a completely different path. Like, what's the common theme? So I, I think what's important to acknowledge is, you know, when people hear the word success, they, they think Oprah Winfrey, you know, like they, they, they think these huge celebrities or athletes. When I say a life worth meaning, a life worth living, a life with meaning, that can be as small or as big. And sometimes like, you know, I have, I have a client who for her, she loves being a housewife. That is her purpose. And if she lives every day, you know, being the best mom she can be, being the best wife she can be, and she's not arguing with her husband and she's not yelling at her kids, to her, that's like an A plus day. She lived a day with, with full intentionality. So for her, her struggle, you know, her, her dream might not be to be the next Tony Robbins, you know, but for her, her, her struggle is sometimes she gets caught up in like being stuck in this identity called wife or identity called mom. And then she forgets who she is. And so she forgets to like incorporate self-care into her life. So for someone like her, what I would say, and I'm, I, I'm hoping this is answering your question. If not, maybe reword the question and then I'll try to answer it better. But 
you know, for her, if she just wakes up, and this is like the, 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 the tip that I give everyone, when you wake up, before you even open your eyes, before you touch your phone, before you do anything, like I have a prayer in Hebrew that I say when I wake up, but after I say my little Hebrew prayer where I'm thanking God for giving me another day of life, literally, right? I'm also just setting an intention for the day, no matter how big and no matter how small. And I think that's the theme. You know, whether I'm in India, whether I'm 20 years old, I'm living in India or I'm in Israel, I wake up and I spend those few minutes focusing on my intention and connecting to like my higher power. Okay, so we're gonna get really granular and, and then I will, I, will, I will expand out, perhaps, we'll find out. What is your intention today? Because again, anyone that's done a yoga class, anyone that's done, any, uh, did they do this with CrossFit? They could, you know, certainly they do not do this in, in Muay Thai, but like you're supposed to set your intention. What the heck does that mean? What, what is your intention? Mm -hmm. So for me, there's micro intention and then there's macro intention, right? So for me, like one of the, one of the intentions that I set in the morning, and when I say in, it doesn't mean taking an hour first thing in the morning to set intentions, it can be 60 seconds, you know? But when I wake up in the morning, before I actually start my day, I say, God, please help me see the godliness in every other person. You know, like, so that way I judge every single person I meet favorably, or I try to, I do my best. I'm human after all. Right. But I really try to give every single person I meet the benefit of the doubt. To me, that's called a micro intention. It's my micro intention is, which is really a big thing is be a good person. At the very least, I yell it, be a good person, you know? And then my macro intention is like in Hebrew, tikkun olam, like change the world. You know, like inspire as many people as you can, impact as many people as you can. And, and my vehicle in doing that is through, you know, inspiring young women to incorporate modalities where they work on their self-esteem so that we, we can totally get rid of any like self-doubt, self-hatred, self-denial, all the negative thoughts that sabotage a girl's happiness in the world um, or feeling like she belongs in the world, which is everywhere when it comes to like teenage girls so so okay there's 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 a lot i want to i want to try to do one at one at a time a lot of times we have conflicting um intentions for example i was speaking with a with a, an individual that that owns you know a, a company where whatever and so he was kind of projecting out where he wants to go with the company and so as with most people that if you want to you know create something big. It's going to take vision. It's going to take hard work. It's going to take a plan. And so we're working through the plan. And I said, you know, are you, are you committed to this? Can you see yourself doing this in, in, in five months, a year's time, five years time? And he said, really, I could be good with that, but I also would probably be just as happy sitting and studying Torah all day. So I'm like, whoa, okay. So like, what, what do you want? Because if the goal is to be able to just create enough freedom in your life that you can sit and study, you shouldn't be trying to build this big business. So again, the second point, I guess I can drill it in is, you know, we have a small goal, like you said, to be a good person, but how do we know if we really should have these big goals or if we're just overshooting or we're undershooting? Mm -hmm. So I can, I can speak for myself and many people that I work with that what I would tell someone is, a lot of times when you have conflicting goals, right? Whether to create your, like advance in your company or sit all day and learn Torah, 
right? It, it may seem like they're conflicting goals and maybe they are, maybe they are because at the end of the day, you're one person, you can't build a business and study Torah all day. And so, so the struggle is real, as they say. Now, what I would tell someone in that situation is I would tell them, start with one, right? Pick one and start. Let's say it's learning Torah all day. You said pick one. That's, pick scary, one. For a lot, that's scary for a lot of people. They don't, they don't know like what to pick. So here's the thing. To comfort that fear, I'll say, not forever. Pick one and stick with it for one week, maybe one month. Not forever, but temporarily. If you are meant to be doing something else or incorporating a second dream and goal into your life, then it'll be only a matter of time before you feel this discomfort in what it is that you're doing. You know, you can only go on so long doing one thing when there's some other, when there's a life purpose that you're meant to be fulfilling, where, what do you, what do you want to say? No, so, so that's, that's such a fascinating thing because I think people are, are trained to specifically ignore that because if you're on a, a path and then, and again, I, 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 I love what you're saying and I say this very often, it's like if you're on a path and you have a feeling that you want something else or that you need something else or something else, most people shut that down because it's going to take them off the path that they're on, if that makes sense. But the reality is if they don't follow it, like they're going to be resentful. They're going to be broken. They're going to feel like they didn't put it all out on the line and do what they wanted. So how do you, I guess, how do you build personal confidence that you are going on your own journey versus that you are possibly derailing yourself from the place you're supposed to be? I mean, I go back, I, I am, there, it, you have to initially, I, this is, you know, one of my, my Kabbalah teachers told me that it starts with being open. Now, a lot of people are like, what the heck does that mean to be open, right? Like if I was closed spiritually or just closed emotionally, or if I was closed off to like the messages of the universe, we'll call it, then I never would have heard that voice that came into my meditation that day when I was sitting by the pool in India that said, leave this country now and go to Israel. I wouldn't have heard it. I would have gone on the bus. I would have gone through this bus tour, but there would have always been this kind of this like voice in the background. I call it the monkey mind, right? There would have been something in my monkey mind that said, you're not in the right place. This doesn't feel right. Something feels off, you know? And, and I, I can, like, I'm living proof of what you're saying because for the six years that I was in India, something did feel off. I didn't feel like I was living my life's purpose. So it's almost like, you know, I know when I'm being a naggy wife, <laughs> you know, like I know when I'm nagging my husband. So it's like, I have my own naggy wife in the, in, in like my subconscious mind that when I'm not doing what I know I'm meant to be doing, she goes off. She starts like complaining. She starts, even if it's still small voice. And a lot of times, most of the times for most of us, it is a very subtle, quiet voice. So for me, it was, it was very useful to spend a desert, especially me, like I move very quickly and I do a million things in a day. And so it was very important for me to take a step back and to slow down and to designate, you know, even if it's five minutes every day, in meditation to just get quiet and see what comes up, see the voices that come up. You know, I do an exercise every day where my eyes are closed and I imagine as though there's like a projector screen coming from my forehead and I just watch the movie of my mind. So I'm just like the witness to my thoughts. 
and I'll just watch what comes up, watch what comes up. And a lot of times when I'm in that meditation, you'll come to realize that a lot of times it is that naggy, you know, I, I can say it because I'm a naggy wife sometimes, right? So it is that naggy wife that wants to come up and say, you're not doing the right thing. You're on the wrong path. You didn't fulfill your mission today. You know, so, so. Is that, so, so, okay. So that, so we have a little bit of a, of a, of a dichotomy here in the sense that, and I, I, I picked up on what I, what I had thought you had said earlier was that, again, you, you say for young women, I think that it's a much you might focus only on young women, but I feel like this is a, a human problem of having all of these voices in our head that say, you're not good enough, you're too stupid, or you're not qualified, all of that stuff. So the first step you would say is to learn how to shut those voices down so you can say, no, I, meaning if do you shut the voices down or you call the voices up because maybe those things, those negative things are, pushing you in the right direction as opposed to keeping like how do you figure out which you know of your schizophrenic brain just you know uh, voices do you do you listen to so okay so for me when people when people say i can't meditate because my i have an overactive mind i say even more so you should be meditating because for me meditation and i'm sorry if it wasn't clear before is not about turning off the mind because let's be real we can't turn off the mind right so it's like kind of what you said it's letting the voices come up and mm -hmm. becoming hyper conscious hyper aware of the landscape of our subconscious mind because a lot of times when we look inside meaning we close our eyes and we get quiet then it's never really quiet when i say quiet i mean i'm not actually speaking and i speak 99 percent of the day so that one percent of the day that i take to get quiet what it means is i'm listening to the inner chatter that's going on in my head. And a lot of times it is the voice of self-doubt. And if I'm getting honest with myself, right, I think it's important to also just like for human beings to recognize where these voices come from, right? Because like a baby comes into this world and they're a blank slate. They're, they're just a blank canvas. A baby does not come into this world and look at a, a piece of artwork and determine whether the piece of artwork is good art or bad art. Right. I saw I saw a video recently that I thought was adorable. It was a video of like I think they must have been like one or two years old. And it was like every single uh, it was a bunch of babies playing together and every baby was of a different race. And they were all just getting along. But at some point that baby is going to grow up. And where does racism come from? Racism comes from the language that we adopt from our society, from our parents, from our friends. I feel like you want to say something. I think I saw that. I think it's a Delta. Did you fly recently? I think that was a Delta commercial. Yes, I'm always flying. So it's definitely what it was. <laughs> I was like, I, th I saw that. Right. Okay. Go ahead. Like, okay. So you just, what was that? No, I saw that's, that's, that's a great point. It's, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's very important for me to micromanage the language and have integrity around the language that I'm using to define my reality because I have to constantly remind myself, you know, that a lot of the negative self-talk is language that I adopted from my society, not language that I was born with, you know? And, you know, I have a quick story. Do we have time for a quick story? Okay. You know, when I was eight years old, I had my very first crush on a boy. Sorry, mm. his name was Tommy. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, 
I was on the dance team, Tommy was on the basketball team, and it was during our lunchtime that the girls would practice for their upcoming recital and the boys would practice for their upcoming basketball games. So they kind of had this like fake, this like a uh, uh, portable wall, mechitza, like a wall in between the boys and the girls. Um, and so, you know, I'm with the girls and I'm practicing and, and you know, when, when a guy, when there's rumors going around and a boy knows that this girl has a crush on him, Every time the boy, every time he'd look at me, he knew that I had a crush on him. So every time he'd look at me in the hallway, I was convinced he liked me back. Oh, he's looking at me because he liked me. Okay. So girls are practicing for their upcoming dance recital. And I see in the corner of my eye, Tommy come from the boy's side of the gymnasium to the girl's side. And I'm like, of course, as soon as I see him, like I get really Sephardi and I start putting on all the sass I have and my dancing gets a little bit better. Anyways, I'm like convinced that Tommy's going to come and tap me on the shoulder and look at me and say, Ayelet, I like you too. So he does. He does tap me on the shoulder and he looks at me and he says, Ayelet, I don't like you. Not even a little bit. You need to get that through your thick head. So <laughs> naturally, what did I do? You know, I cried. I cried and I grabbed my best friend. I dragged her to the bathroom and I cried and I cried and I cried. Right. And in that moment, what are some of the things that I could possibly be telling myself as an eight year old who doesn't have the higher level, like the higher awareness to look down at mini me and, and know that, you know, what I'm feeling and what's real don't necessarily have to be the same thing, that it's not truth. Right. And so in the moment I'm thinking about myself, oh my gosh, no boy is ever going to like you, you're a terrible dancer, you're ugly, you know, you're not worthy of being loved. And of course, like those voices in my head that I borrowed from that one ex Tommy experience, you know, haunted me for years to come. And because I didn't know how to separate reality from what I cognize that experience to mean, right, I was sabotaging relationship after relationship after relationship. Until I went through, you know, my own personal journey of healing and, and my own journey towards self-confidence and self-esteem. And I realized, of course, you're worthy of being loved. And of course, just because one boy when you were eight years old didn't love you doesn't mean that you're not worthy of being loved. And so sometimes it, it requires also just like going into the root experience of something that happens in childhood to realize that the language that we're telling ourselves as adults that are really sabotaging our success are not accurate depictions of who we are and who we're meant to be. So to, to I guess, try to summarize that concept, what I think I hear you saying is that a person is supposed to regard themselves as that uh, canvas that they were as a baby and that the bumps and the perceptions that they have, they have to see that as fluid. And for, it's there for a reason and you're not bad for having it, but you can also change that. And by starting from a premise of, you know, I am not worthy of X and then asking yourself why or where did me not being worthy for X come from? That's really the first like, step in terms of saying, well, do I actually want to be like X or can I superimpose it with why? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, I, it's, it's so important 
to rewrite the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves and not just about ourselves, but about the world at large, right? Like let's say someone wants to be financially successful relative to whatever they think financial success is, right? Someone wants to be financially successful, but they've adopted from their society or from their parents, the belief money doesn't grow on trees or, you know, rich people are selfish or any sort of negative belief that comes with this reality call that we call being wealthy you know, that person is sabotaging and literally creating like a blockage in the universe that is not allowing Shefa or abundance to shower them. So, so to, to micromanage the language that we use to define ourselves and like also to recognize like we were all created by the most divine artist there is, right? Like a Picasso, we can replicate, you know, in a printing shop, right? We can replicate a Picasso. You can't replicate a human being. We were all created by the most divine artist that there is. That being said, I think that that artist kind of knew what he was doing when he created us. And that artist created each and every one of us with these opposing forces, like, you know, like these opposing, we'll call a, for the, for, for the viewers who aren't familiar with the words that I'm using, like, we'll call it like, I don't even like good inclination, bad inclination, but we'll call it like the good voices in our head versus the bad voices in our head. And it's this constant battle. And for me, living like a Torah-centered lifestyle is all about like self-mastery. It's all about self-mastery because it's, 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 it requires me to constantly micromanage those opposing voices in my head. The voice that says, eat that third piece of cake. It's going to make you feel good versus that voice that says, um, your father's diabetic, you're prone to diabetes. You might want to avoid that third piece of cake. You know, there, there was an old Cherokee. I'm sure it's also like a story from one of our Torah sages, but I heard it as a, a Cherokee story where a Cherokee grandfather, Cherokee Indian grandfather is telling a story to his grandson. And he tells his grandson that every human being that oh no he's talking about himself i believe in the story he says you know i have these these two wolves inside of me right and like one wolf is the voice of good and compassion and loyalty and giving and self-sacrifice the good kind of self-sacrifice and justice and kindness and the other wolf is the wolf of evil and self-destruction and self-doubt and, and war and crime and, and, and sadness and fear and pain. And these wolves are constantly in battle with one another. So the Cherokee's grandson looks at his grandfather and he says, okay, so at the end of the day, which wolf wins? And so the grandfather looks at his grandson and he says, the one that you feed. Right? So, so, it's not about becoming like an enlightened master who sits in the Himalayas, because for me, when I was sitting in a mountain in India, it was really easy for me to feel blissful all day, you know? But like real life is in marriage. Real life is when you have purpose in the world. Real life is when you live within a context of community and, and you want to build something in the world, meaning you have to be a part of the world. And when you're living in real life, those two wolves are at ends with one another, at odds with one another. And so I'm, I'm constantly trying to train my brain and I fail often, you know, but I'm constantly trying to train my brain, my mind to feed the wolf that 
believes in good, that believes in justice. And, you know, it's, it's like anything. You don't go to the gym one time and come out, you know, muscle buff, muscle man, right? Like it's, it's an exercise and same with muscle of the mind. You know, it's, it's, it's not a practice that you do five minutes one time and expect to master your subconscious. It's really, it really requires daily repetition. So what's very exciting about that, and I, and I appreciate you bringing this up, and I know that I have to respect your time, so we will, we will potentially have a part two of this, but um, it, it's fascinating. There's, a, there's a, a thinker that I, that I love whose name is Jordan Peterson, and he speaks about the importance of recognizing your dark side. And it's not him, it's Nietzsche, and it's all kinds of other stuff, and it's, and it's very deeply Jewish as well. But the interesting thing that we see is that, I guess you could say nowadays, I think there's a perception that we don't have those dark sides. And I heard once that the reason why the Torah has to give us all these things you're not supposed to do is because if we're really in touch with ourselves, we would do those things. And appreciating that I have the capacity to steal, to lie, to cheat, and that's within me, I think it gives you a lot of power. It gives you a lot of passion because it's like, it's not a bad thing to to fight, to struggle, to desire, to long for something. It's just about how do you, how do you use that? Um, that's one point. I felt like that was in some way related to the wolf story. Um, and the, the second point is um, the second point is this concept that you said that I, I also love of micromanaging your, your, your speech, that if you look, it's crazy. You know, nowadays, thank God, there's this whole thing about Hilchus Lashon Har and you can't speak badly. And for those that are, you know, aware of it, they, they, they study these lessons. And can I say this? Can I not say this? And we don't ever have that same level of respect for the voices that we're saying to ourselves. And we don't even know about that. And what I think that you're saying it's so important is we basically need a, 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 a Lashon Hara um, symposium for the voices in our head as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I tell this to all my girls that I, that I work with. It's like if the things that we tell ourselves, we would never tell another girl about her right? Like the things, when we look in the mirror, the voices that come up, the first thing in the, in the morning, we look in the mirror, the voices that come up, oh, I have a pimple. Everybody's only going to notice the pimple. And really you're the only one who notices the pimple, you know, like it's, it's, we treat our minds, we treat ourselves like garbage cans. We would never treat anybody else like that or speak the way we speak to ourselves in our own heads to anybody else. Yet, this is the one vehicle, the biggest gift we've been given. This is my temple, right? This is my Beit HaMikdash. This is the most important vessel, vehicle that I have to, to live out my mission. If I am feeding my vessel, my vehicle with junk, whether it's food or thoughts, right? Like you can guarantee that living out your mission is going to be incredibly difficult. So to go back to what you what you were originally saying, to micromanage the language that you tell yourself, you know, the Baal Shem Tov, one of our Torah sages, he says, where your thoughts are, that's where you are, right? So if during, if, if when I'm teaching a class, I tell my girls, right? I'm like, if any of you in this class today were sitting here, but thinking about being at the beach in Tel Aviv, you were actually at the beach in Tel Aviv. That's how potent and powerful our thoughts are. We can't see them, but they have this like very tangible, real existence. I'll give another example. And then, you know, okay, I'll give another example. Um, Before I met my husband, so I'm a big fan of visualization, right? Like I spend X amount of time every day visualizing the life that I want to live as though I already have it, right? And so I had spent, and some people tell me I'm like, 
playing with fire when I do this, but sometimes I'll like pick a date. Like I'll, I'll want something by a specific date, which sometimes can come in handy. If there's a family being evicted from their apartment and they need a new apartment by a certain day, then picking a day is actually quite necessary, but then leaving the results up to Hashem, right? Hashem, God is in charge. And so I'll do a visualization every day. And so before I met my husband, I spent 40 days visualizing that I would be married to him by the end of May. Right? So I'm sitting with a bunch of my girlfriends in Jerusalem and I was just kind of like having fun with it. And I said, I said, I just like, I just feel, I just know, right. That I'm going to meet my husband and we're going to be married by the end of May. Right. It was a goal that I set for myself, but then I kind of, I had to let go of the outcome. If it didn't happen. Okay. Cause sometimes it doesn't happen like this. Right. And so Fast forward a few months, I meet my husband. Fast forward a few more months, our wedding day was May 29th. Wow, that's crazy. Right. Crazy. It's crazy. Absolutely. And I have like text messages to prove it because when I was sitting with my girlfriends at lunch that day, one of them was like, I yell at you out of your mind, but I'm sending you this text message as proof that you said end of May. You know, so we laugh about it. Um, but, you know, it doesn't always work out that way because there's your will and there's your prayers and then there's God's will for you. Um, but, but I am a big believer that if your intention is clear and you're coming from a place where you've kind of like cleared out all the spider webs of self-doubt, of self-hatred, of self-denial, of I'm not deserving of this, or I'm not worthy of that, then God does want to give to you. It's like a parent wants to give to their child. You know, if the child is deserving and the child believes that they are worthy, you know, and they do the work, the hishtadlut, the work involved that's necessary to get to the desired outcome, then a parent wants to give to a child. So I see my relationship with like Hashem in that way where I'm like, he wants to give to me. So if, if I'm not getting something, then I'm clearly blocking myself from receiving what it is that Hashem wants to give to me. Amazing. I, uh, you did a great job. Thank you so much. Tell me a little bit more about how people can find you and uh, chat with you. So nowadays, I mean, I, I feel like blogging is like of, you know, time of the morning. 2006? Yeah. Like no, my, my, my business coach is like, stop personal blogging. No one's looking at your personal blog anymore. It's not a thing. So use social media. So honestly, the best way is message me on Facebook. Um, you know, you can Facebook read it. It's also kind of like 2006. It's so 2006, but until the next Mark Zuckerberg comes out, you know, and, and creates right. the new space, Facebook, whatever it is, you know, I'll stick with Facebook. Um, so Facebook's the best and you can just Google Ayala Polanski if you want to read anything or watch videos, etc., etc. Amazing. Thank you so much for the time. This was epic. Thank you so much. Loved it. Had so much fun. Thank you. There you have it, folks. Another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. Uh, we have a ton of amazing speakers coming up. And also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.